monument to a racist um, son of the city. And the, uh, the monuments ordinance did not allow them to do that um, on public land. If it was on public, it was in a park, I think it was. Uh, well, the city put the park up for sale. And I think the NAACP bought the park and took the monument down, right? So like those are some of the ways too that um, ownership of land and who has control of the spaces should be allowed to dictate. Of course, they went back to the ordinance and changed the core ordinance so that couldn't happen again. But you see, these are the things if, if you own the land and feel like there's control over the physical space that you can make changes to what goes on it and 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 either um, ease the pain of people who are confronted with a certain interpretation of history um, or try to defend you know, your power position by controlling what people have to look at when they move in their physical space every day. Danelle, over to you. That's so good. So uh, I think um, uh, this, uh, Odetta does this to me every time. I'm like, I wanna get, I'm here. And then she like brings up these two other really great things. And I'm like, but I really wanna go there. But to, so uh, she gave you this example of um, a kind of equality um, definition. Remember that, which we talked about at the top, right? With these monuments, right? They were designed, erected for the particular reason that she pointed to, but um, were done so in this way that wanted us, to, wanted all of America, but namely those that were um, also at a benefit, those that were being oppressed to, uh, remember that equality can be yours. I'm gonna stretch here, but equality can be yours if you abide by certain rules and remember a place in society and remember your rank in, in society, right? Um, and not solely for um, the purpose of honoring these, those people, but solely um, oftentimes for the purpose of reminding the whole of their place in society, right? Um, and uh, if you abide, you too can be equal. You can you can uh, achieve our level or our definition of equality, right? Um, equity steps into this now that those monuments are torn down, Chloe, Chloe, um, and, and and begs the question: How do we create a a space where we where we remember um, the right narrative, the whole narrative uh, of our history, and we honor? Um, all of it, but also we honor those people um, in the history that is true to that geographic location. So I'm sitting on Sweet, uh, in, in Sweet Auburn now on Auburn Avenue um, and in a building um, looking across at uh, the Atlanta Life Building, one of Atlanta's first millionaires, Alonzo Herndon, um, and HDDC, uh, we own that building. Uh, part of the reason why this was saved was because of M. Tamanika Youngblood that Nathaniel and I have talked about in HDDC that Odetta pointed to, um, and right partnership with, with, with white guys who love real estate and architecture like Gene Kansas. Um, but the, uh, the fabric of a place, um, so I'm gonna answer your question, Chloe, by way of talking about the monuments that we erect back that tell a better story of people. But I would say more of what I think of a monument now is um, what's happening on this commercial corridor of Auburn Avenue um, and the development, um, the strategic work to develop monument by way of place. So restoring this core, this commercial corridor uh, with the preservation of these historical buildings 
um, which is why we need architectures and uh, uh, architects and planners like yourself to get involved in this, this uh, kind of work of preservation um, and thinking of innovatively about how to do that so that we protect um, and restore and develop um, again, the fabric, there's this idea of reweaving the fabric of place because um, the monument of a neighborhood like a Sweet Auburn um, has to be saved. And I think it does so much more than the bust of a Martin Luther King or um, you know, right down the street, um, this uh, mask done by a famous, uh, a well-renowned artist of, uh, uh, John was adopted that you can step into, right? Like that's great, but more is uh, thinking about how we innovatively preserve a building that has um, rich historical um, hi um, context uh, and history, and then develop it through these innovative um, funds of uh, strings of funds. Um, uh, and then think uh, from a comprehensive way about how we reactivate that space um, to tell even more um, and pay, more, pay even uh, a better um, acknowledgement of the history and context of that place by activating it once again with Black-owned businesses um, and uh, Black-owned ventures, right? Um, and then that we uh, allow people to um, immerse themselves um, in, into place, not by way of just stopping and looking at a, a, a monument, by, but by immersing themselves into culture. Um, and I think that that goes, in, in my humble but um, uh, bold enough to tell you opinion, <laughs> that I think that that does much more than this uh, replacing a, stat, uh, a torn down statue that had no value in the first place that we as man elevated with another statue that really honors, you know, um, even a king. Better, if, I think, if he was sitting in this chair, um, would be used doing the work to curate place, right? Um, that preserves, restores, and develop. Um, I think that monument becomes a living testament of a people, the ingenuity of a people, right? Um, the vitality of a people. Um, and it circulates the dollar in place. It creates new businesses, right? It, it does um, even more for the current generation. So it has this residual re uh, effect or return on investment. The dividends, I think that we have yet to, to see, um, but when we honor the history of a statue and take it out of a, a monument and begin to think about why we honor, why we even want to honor um, a statue of a person the work that they did, right, um, uh, brings them to this place. So these Black Lives Matter that would uplift Black Lives Matter um, or other organizations like that, um, uh, Nathaniel's organization or Adetta's organization or an HDDC, better suited would be to work towards preserving the fabric of a place, building people in place, right, than just the monument. You didn't ask me for that in your question, but you can have it. Okay, it's a fluid conversation. That's great. Um, so we're getting a little bit closer to the time. So we're going to ask like one or two more questions, and then maybe open up in case there are any other audience questions that we haven't captured in the chat. And if anybody has another question answer, feel free to add it to the chat. Um, so this is a couple different questions. Um, in some of our planning conversations, Adet and Donnell, we talked about 
the idea of bridge building. Um, and a lot of the folks on the call here are people from all across ADC industry, architects, engineers, developers, um, very sort of um, multifaceted teams. Um, what can you tell us in terms of strategies for any of the folks on this call um, can use to play a role in how we're able to better shape the communities and we're working on um, through our projects and our designs. And what is bridge building too? <laughs> if you wanna cover that as well. Uh, Nate, you wanna uh, kick us off? Uh, okay. Yeah. Oh, you wanna go, go ahead, Daniel. Go ahead, go ahead. Um, so, I mean, being very deliberate and intentional about ensuring that the voices of the people that will benefit from your work actually have a chance to be heard and engaged in the beginning, middle and end of the process is really important. Um, what are you leaving behind, not just in terms of the, the built environment being influenced, but are you playing a role in actually growing the civic infrastructure of that community by strengthening the agency of, of, of those folks that may be marginalized or affected by the projects that you are a part of. You know, I think it's really, really important to do that. Um, and I would say also, you know, you have the ability to, even in communities that are transitioning, ability to really serve as an amplifier of those voices and as a translator for people that may not necessarily understand where those particular communities are coming from, because they, there may be cultural differences in, in, in you know, certain people who live in communities that are transitioning. Um, I'm, I'm seeing that happen right now in the community that I'm living in is being gentrified just like in Old Fourth Ward, uh, which, is, which is, you know, being super gentrified at this particular point. So, you know, to me, bridge builder means not just connecting people, but also making sure that that connection is equitable between those two, the two people that you that are being connected through your engagement. And so those are just some of the things I would encourage you to think about. Thanks, Nathaniel. Uh, Adada, you wanna, or you want? I was just gonna say, I think a big part of it um, and bridge building for sure is um, staying in your learning stance, right? You do have a wonderful set of skills to offer, but first you must learn and listen uh, from the people who will experience what you build or what you offer long after you're gone. Um, so it would behoove you as the implementer of the vision to build a vision that people, you know, will be, I would, I would hate to think that something I put in a community was stressing people out every day that they walk past it, right? Um, or walk through its doors or, you know, I don't think you went into your, your chosen field to do that. So being in your learning and listening space so that you can understand how best to deploy the special skills that you have, um, I believe is one of the most critical um, commitments you can make to your practice um, generally. And certainly when you enter into communities that have been um, betrayed over and over in multiple ways. There's a lot of trust building that has to happen. And that comes from one, you being honest with them about who you are. Don't try to fake anything. Be who you are. Let them know because they'll, they'll know anyway if you're trying to be fake. So don't worry about that. And two, uh, listening and believing and um, honoring and dignifying the stories that you will hear um, so that you can turn that into um, a better understanding of what 
what skill set to bring into to, to bear. So I would only add, I think that uh, two words, and then I'll elaborate on the two words. I think proximity is the the word that I would say um, to you in this realm of like strategy that you should be implementing um, in an act of developing uh, or be, being a bridge builder. Um, that uh, there's uh, a um, writer and uh, he did Just Mercy, the film, Brian Stevenson, um, who talks about proximity in a really unique way that um, by saying uh, an adage from his grandmother that you cannot understand things from afar, um, you have to get close or be proximate to them. And so I would say to you in your work, um, uh, ask yourself, what are the ways in which you can be proximate um, to place? And I get that you, many of you work for firms um, and agencies um, that don't allow that in your job or role. Uh, but then uh, I would say, if you're gonna commit yourself to it, one of the things that I've learned from an M. Tamanika and an Aaron Fortner is that the due diligence of you to get proximate to the work is, is what, when you look at these iconic leaders, I saw someone reference Ryan Gravel and his innovative idea. Well, Ryan would be just like Nathaniel Odetta and I when referencing M. Tamanika for his, his mentor and Aaron Fortner in that same vein, right? And they would all say that they learned so much, we learned so much because of the proximity that she had to place and proximity by way of immersing herself into that. And so I would say to you, ask that question of how not just in your role or whatever is required of you um, by way of the project, but by way of your person, how can you be proximate to that? Um, and then it's in, in strategy um, that uh, you make these meaningful decisions to, to be proximate. In our work, um, our ED, um, Katie Delp, who is a, a, a white female um, who's been in uh, this historically black neighborhood that's still categorized as impoverished um, for 22 years, she would tell you if you're white, then you should not jump into leading anything, um, that you should take a year or two at most to just get proximate and support efforts that are already underway, namely of minority organizations, because that teaches you just how to be proximate practically, but also um, it, under, it helps you reorient yourself to leadership and like understanding the value that people bring um, to uh, the table um, and, and continually orienting yourself around um, that the neighborhood is the essential unit to flourishing and thriving. Um, and we've often been taught that uh, individuals are. Um, and so if we could just meet the need of the one, um, then we are, can eradicate poverty or the issue or whatever. But um, if, in your work, your field, recognizing that the, that the neighborhood is that essential unit of, uh, of, of, of change. And if you can lend your expertise and your work, if you can get proximate enough, then you can really begin to see um, uh, lasting change happen. And, and then developing Two is developing and protecting the capacity um, to listen and respond to the community. I can't stress that enough. Like developing this uh, practice and capacity of protecting, um, listening to, um, uh, and responding to the community. Because it's one thing to like do a charade and like listen to people, right? 
and then take that data away and analyze it and then come back and say, now my field has taught me how to like say what the community really means. It's another thing to protect that for the life of the project, right? And to create within that project sustainable strategies once you are gone to the earlier point from my panel colleagues in the panel uh, that will create, that will preserve that protection um, long after you're gone. And if your projects aren't doing that, it is also a gauge, a gu guideline and a guardrail for us in our work um, uh, that helps us reassess. Um, so I'm probably not gonna get to talk to, it, uh, talk to you about it tonight, but in our work, we do three uh, things continually on a two-year cycle. We assess, we align, and we activate. Um, so we're always assessing, we're doing that historical context work, um, we're understanding the lived environment, the made up, we're mapping, we're surveying, um, and then we're rightly aligning um, by way of listening, protecting that right to those who um, are key and essential to the neighborhood. We're looking for um, the quarterback, and I'll say something about that in a second, but then we are activating. So whatever that development plan is. So when you look at our uh, building portfolio, it looks like a for-profit entity, even as a nonprofit. When you look at some of HDDC's greatest assets, many of you are going, um, sitting on the belt line, hopefully with a mask on, please, um, uh, enjoying the uh, buildings, the commercial buildings on the backside of StudioPlex or enjoying something in StudioPlex. That $18.5 million um, asset at the time in the late 90s when M. Tamanika purchased that is now in the hundreds of millions of dollars, right? Um, and is creating this residual income uh, for, for us that many would not know that that's the black owned entity that um, Odetta just pointed to, right? Um, but because we committed to proximity, we committed to that, the long arc of doing that work and we decided to be, um, and we aligned with right partner and we decided to be the quarterback. So this is what I would say, the last thing I would say, discover um, uh, how you can be a quarterback um, in this work, right? And so in our neighborhood, we look for that um, a quarterback that's essential um, to the flourishing and thriving of the neighborhood. We see ourselves at FCS as that because we've developed this work of understanding our uh, and honing our expertise really, really well. Not just like a, the normal quarterback, but like an MVP quarterback, right? Um, mm -hmm. Who knows his role and his um, skill um, like no one else, right? But then he also understands all the other levels of quarterbacks that he needs to have on his team as well, right? And then he does the due diligence of understanding the role, uh, position that every other on, person on the team plays and what is necessary for them to operate at their full potential and at their best capacity. And then he works in this really non-anxious way to bring unity together. So the quarterback is heralded as this like MVP, right? But it really is his ability, not in a single play, it's his ability to bring together that whole team that's what we need in neighborhood. And that's what I would say to you as a strategy um, for moving forward. Like how can you be that quarterback as an architect, as a planner, as a developer, in your, on your team, in your firm, but then also in the place that you're um, doing that work in? Yes. Can I jump in with my last little comment and it won't be long, but I just wanna say to the question of holding people to the table, 
Um, there is something that you can do on behalf of equity at every single stage of the life cycle of a development. It will start with getting into proximity and listening and learning. It will move into your design understanding and knowing different um, aesthetics. It will move into uh, um, sharing your design with the community and changing it if they don't like something. Don't worry, you just, just make it right. Um, it will move into things like um, uh, community benefits agreements, right? And continuing to make sure that people benefit from and you leave something behind. But every single stage, and then once it's up and running and and cash flowing and pro forma-ing, you will come back around and talk to the community about how they are feeling about it, what needs to change that can be changed now, and you will keep that virtual cycle of conversation going. Mm. I love that. We are, um, this is just, there's just not enough time. We want more time with you. Um, truly, truly, everyone is, I feel so resonating with what you all are saying. I wanna just make sure that, um, each of you have, has a chance for us to know how we can continue to follow your initiatives, projects, and continue learning. And um, Odetta, can we start with you? If you could just maybe share with us how we can continue to follow your work. And then, um, you know, if you could just leave us with perhaps some optimism of what you are hopeful for for 2021. We've been through a lot of change in the past month. <laughs> Um, and more, um, so please. Yeah. So um, Transformation Alliance's website is um, atltransformationalliance.org. Uh, you can find a lot of basic information there about our membership and our supporters. Um, uh, I think that we should be hopeful that folks have learned to say racial equity. Nathaniel knows, because he took the hits years ago to, when he said racial equity and funding got pulled or funding got denied. Like there was a time when we were gonna talk about this. We wouldn't have this panel, right? Next step, we need to be able to talk as comfortably about the ideas and precepts of um, white supremacy and how it trains all of us to think a certain way. But I think, I feel for the first time in my life that enough white people are prepared to discuss this and stay in the discomfort of it that we might actually, uh, combined with Black people rising to levels of decision-making who are prepared to be right-thinking, that together feels like a difference that maybe we haven't had before. So that's what I'm hopeful that the sacrifices of many across 2020 that we observed on our phones and uh, coming across our social media feeds will result in, um, in permanent change. Wonderful. Nathaniel, you're, you're on mute. Sorry about that. So um, you can find out more about the Partnership of Southern Equity by going to www.psequity.org. Um, you can check us out. There are many, many opportunities for you to be involved and engaged in a lot of great work that my team um, and our partners, our ecosystem of partners are advancing. Um, the, the thing that I'm really the most excited about is, is I think we're finally at the point where, we, where we, we, we could potentially be in this place where we can finally change the rules. You know, I, I think for a long time we've been in this hamster wheel of what I call the nonprofit industrial complex, you know, um, you know, generating revenue for organizations off of the backs of the pain, you know, in pain of communities of color 
We've had elected officials that have made a lot of promises and developed plans, but no real change. The powerful continue to get more powerful and the poor continue to get poorer and more entrenched in structural inequity. And I feel as if because of COVID-19 um, and because of the racial equity uprisings, we finally have seen a crack in the marble uh, ceiling. And I think that if we're not if we're not diligent and laser-like and focused, we're gonna lose this moment. But I do believe that there may be an opportunity for us to write some new rules and change the game in ways that will benefit all people. Um, so that's why I'm really excited right now. Wonderful. Uh, um, so you can discover um, more about um, our consultancy at um, uh, org, um, And then I would also uh, admonish you to check out the Historic District Development Corporation or HDDC if you wanna hear about work in Sweet Auburn and that I referenced the commercial corridor. Um, and Odetta pointed to some of that great work too. Um, uh, and then I would say to you, I think in this last uh, month and a half and really last six months, I've been nationally and internationally invited onto small and really large platforms and asked, what can we do? Um, and for a brown man in asking that question of me, um, even when I've given, I've given my life to worlds where most of the environments I'm comfortable that, of that question being asked um, and I, I live into the tension of it because of how, I, how we live, <clears throat> my wife and I and family live our lives, but also how I've said in career, I want to do that. Um, the last year hasn't provided for me a space where I felt in, energized to do that. And I, the last six months has been coming around to that um, for this reason in answering the question. Um, it's because I once again rooted myself in place. Um, I um, came out of uh, this mindset or attempt to try to fix the overarching um, issues of the system, right? Um, and uh, and I, I honed in, came back to rooted myself in what matters most, and that's place and people. Um, and so I began to ask myself as place and people began to like heal and re, uh, rejuvenate me and empower me once again to do this work. Um, I began to ask myself, what are the issues of place, of my place, my geographic location? Um, and how do I, in issues of equity and inclusion um, and um, the, the full gamut, how do I begin to offer my ad value to um, those issues, right? Um, and in doing so, um, I, re I was reminded of why, how I started this in this game, to use Nathan's uh, point, um, in 2013. I would take my wife to the MARTA station in Inman Park um, to, to, go, to go to Emory for residency, and I would come back to my uh, house, um, this brand new built house, um, and uh, get a trash bag. And I would walk my streets um, and pick up trash every day, knowing that every day it was gonna go back down on the street again. But what it did was it, it made me be reminded 
of the, the value of place, right? Um, and then it also um, reminded me that I can actually say hello to my neighbor. I can, at, at that time, which uh, Nathan said, there isn't really, you know, oh, what, what doesn't look like this anymore. Um, but I could talk to the drug dealer and the prostitute and the homeless um, guy, right? And the new neighbor who was daring to move into the neighborhood, right? I could talk to all of them and I was intentional about doing so. Um, and then I immersed myself civically in the issues of place so I could do discovery and then get proximate with Kwanzaa's, uh, Kwan then Kwanzaa um, Hall our Councilman's office and Joan Garner, our Fulton County Commissioner who has since passed away. And like those were people that I rooted myself civically with, right? And John Lewis and all these folks who were proximate to me. Um, and then I let them give me a list of things that I could do even more in place, right? Um, and that is from that place, I began to realize how um, what I do here, how it matters because it folds up and dovetails into the larger issues. It moves the legislative stuff that Nathaniel was talking about forward. It gives me a proximity to those who can do that. Um, and then it helps me get to the achievement of the, you know, um, the major thing that I just don't have the ca capacity or the ability or wherewithal to do. So how are you connecting to your place? Um, and I'm inspired that we are in it. We can breathe now. I felt like January happened despite the capital stuff, we, it, but we can breathe and we can actually start in this place where we might be able to make some really good steps forward to create more equitable um, uh, environments, right? Um, that um, hopefully we all play a role in. So how are you doing that in your work is what I would leave you with. Thank you so much, all three of you. This has been an amazing panel and we really appreciate your time. Um, Odetta, Nathaniel, Donnell, thank you. And I hope the audience really took a lot from it and hopefully we can continue to have these conversations and actually lead it to actions. So thank you very much, everyone. Uh, appreciate it. And please make sure you check out uh, all the resources shared in the chat. Thank you guys for Thanks everybody. so much. Love you, Nathaniel. Lovely, Donnell. Love you to too. Take care. Thanks, everyone. I like seeing the chat. <laughs> I was just, I was on here just to make sure everybody had enough time to grab all the chat comments and resources and <laughs> awesome. we'll be on here. Thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you. Have a great night. Yep. You too. You too. Bye.